Who's excited to get to our last message in the book of John? You know, I say that, and you know, when when I planned out this sermon, or or not sermon, when I planned out this series, I I had all the dates filled out, and I, I looked at the calendar, and I'm like, wow, nine months is a long time to commit to a series. But Here's what I know. The, the way God blesses through the pursuit of his word and speaking to us, learning these characters intimately and, and seeing how, how Jesus interacts with them and seeing who Jesus is is so valuable. And I have never dedicated that much time to preaching one series. But it's challenged us in a good way. And particularly the last couple of weeks, if you, if you reflect back on what we've talked about, Jesus made effort to meet us in our confusion, our misunderstanding, and our pain. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see Jesus do that again this week, and he has unfinished business with Peter One of the last things Christ explained to him before he was arrested and taken was that Peter would deny him three times. And of course, Peter dismissed that. I will will never do that. And then Jesus gets arrested, and within hours, Peter denied him three times, saying he didn't even know the man. Then for Peter to see Jesus being crucified... A man who wore his emotions on his sleeve and when, when they were together, he would have done anything for Jesus. Now all of a sudden, he feels lost. Ironically, Peter had seen Jesus after he had rose from the dead. But in Peter's heart, where we're going to find him today is he's trapped by his denial of Jesus. So let's read um, John chapter 21. We're going to start out with just verses 2 through 4. We are going to read more of John 21 today. But we're going to start out with just 2 through 4. And we're going to see that Peter resorts to going back to his trade. Let's read John 21, 2 through 4. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they said. So when they went out in the boat, so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. We're going to stop right there for now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, how it inspires. It challenges us, God. And Lord, it calls us to repent and change. Lord, I pray our hearts will be open. Our ears will listen today. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Today we're splitting this passage up into three sections. And I I want to call this three obvious truths that we can see in this scripture. Three obvious truths. And the first obvious truth that I see is that Peter had a fallback plan. If everything fell apart, if following Christ didn't work out, he might not have known it fully, but he had a fallback plan. And you know, there are excuses we make in life. 
and we can make excuses for Peter here fishing. You and I, we could argue, hey, I like fishing. You can just go fishing. But I am telling you, as we observe this, this was more than just fishing. This was more than just saying, I'm going fishing. You could say, Pastor, maybe they were hungry, so they went fishing all night long. Now, I argue that if you understand, if you look at the book of John, if you take in everything that we've read, if you look at the intimacy that John portrayed throughout, this was not just Peter going to catch his dinner. This was Peter taking his nets and returning to his trade. Now we can only imagine the reasons in Peter's heart that he went back to fishing. Perhaps his denial of Jesus made him feel he was no longer fit to be a disciple. No doubt he felt directionless without Jesus walking with him daily. But often it is easy to blame God for the mistakes that we make. And we do this because we don't want to address the real problem. And the real problem here is Peter. And the, all the anxiousness and all the, all the shame that he is hiding in. And I argue this was because the whole time, including during the walk with Jesus, there was a failure for him to guard his heart. I want you to think about that for a minute as we begin to discuss this. King Solomon exclaimed, Proverbs 4.23, he says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, if you could read the scripture in one context, you could say, Pastor, I'm supposed to follow my heart. It says follow your heart, and I can do those things. But it also prepositions it with, you have to guard it because it determines the course of your life. Here is what I know. This is what I know. Within the church, New Age thinking has crept in. My alma mater has advertised for potential students to come in Follow your dreams. Chase your dreams. And some of you are saying, Pastor, what's wrong with that? And I will say, God instills desires and dreams in us all the time. But also, in a world where we tell people, you do you. Live your truth. Follow your dreams. Or follow your heart. The reality is, something that we have to reason with, that is not scriptural. That is not scriptural. In fact, Jeremiah, it says in 17.9 of Jeremiah, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And it's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So instead, what what I take away from this is we should guard our heart because it has the potential to steer us in the wrong direction because our heart, it's a fleshly part of us and it means that we are not walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. I would call these heart issues. Heart issues. Who knows your actual physical heart? 
is decaying. It's dying. As you get older, it slows down. The, the, maybe you used to do cardio and your max heart rate used to be around 200. And now you're like, oh, pastor, if it was around 200 now, I'd be over dead. And the reality is, as we look to Peter, this was not God's plan. This was his plan. This is what he was following and wanting to do. And so what we have to acknowledge is Peter is not living out God's plan. And if we don't guard our own hearts, we can falter the same way. This happens for many reasons. Things don't go your way. You had a dream. You had a desire. or we're mistaken about something, or we make a mistake like Peter did, and then what we do is we let our heart take over. You see, Jesus established in Peter early on what his calling was and proved God would be his provider in whatever he did. Think about this. In John chapter 6, they had 5,000 people following Jesus, and Jesus decides all of a sudden, and you guys will remember this, Jesus decides all of a sudden to have them all sit down in groups of 50. And what he was going to do was he was going to feed them, and all they had was two fish and five loaves of bread. And through that experience, the disciples were absolutely astonished at the power of God and Jesus' ability to feed people. And so many times, Jesus reinforced that through Him, He had the power and authority. And if you follow Him, if you do the things that He do in Jesus' name, you can have that same power. Don't forget this. It is not you who has the ability It's Christ in you. It's Christ in you. See, God, He wants wants willing vessels who choose to follow Him and serve no matter what God calls you to. Because with God, it's His perfect purpose. I want to read Luke chapter 14, verses 26 through 29. Jesus talks about the cost of being one of his disciples. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Now, he's not saying hate with intent to kill. That's not what he's saying. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Who says, all right, I've already checked out, Jesus. I don't understand. He goes on, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. Here's what Jesus is saying. The choice to follow me should cost you everything. That relationship that I have with my wife, I surrender it first to God. When my children were born, I dedicated them unto the Lord. 
I said, they're not mine, Lord, they're yours. The relationship with my parents. They had to accept me, the age of 18, leaving 2,000 mi- going 2,000 miles away to go to college. They had to release me unto the Lord. And so what Jesus is saying, you need to despise this life for my sake. You need to be about my purpose. If you want to follow me, you need to be about this. You must count the cost. And when Peter chose to follow Jesus, he knew it would cost him everything. Guess what? He left home. He had a wife back home, and every now and then he'd come back and see his wife, and sometimes she'd go off with them. But, and fellas, I'm not telling you to do that, okay? Just being clear. Um, He left his business. He left everything to follow Jesus. He counted the cost in that moment. And I believe that these kind of lessons teach us, as Paul does in Romans chapter 12, he implies that we are to be living sacrifices. We're to sacrifice ourselves unto God. So we need to make a daily offering of our lives to God. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. He says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Who feels challenged right now? I'll work on you. (laughs) See, we might have missteps like Peter. You might falter. You might fail. But what God does is God begins to reach out through those lessons remind us of the cost and call us back to the path that he had. And what we're going to see is Peter had his own ideas. Peter went back to fishing. He was ready to go back to his trade. Jesus shows him yet again, my way is better. Jesus' way is better. And so here Jesus is standing there on the shore. They can't make out who he is. They just see there's a man there. And he yells something out that is audacious. Let's read John chapter 21 verses 6 through 14. This is Jesus that says this. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. Remember, they hadn't caught fish all night. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, this is John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to to the shore, and they were only about a 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. 
Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. You know, they say a bad day of fishing is better than a good day of work. You heard that? But what about when fishing is your job and you've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything? Sounds like a bad day of fishing and a bad day of work, okay? And to me, when, when Jesus yells out, why don't you throw your net on the other side? This is Jesus' way of saying, Peter, you've made a wrong decision. You've made a wrong decision. Think about it. How absurd is it to be fishing in one spot, right? And just say, well, I guess I'll try the other side of the boat. I mean, you can do that, but it probably wouldn't make much sense to you in your head. So one would have to imagine if there's a guy standing on the shore and he says, cast on the other. Well, first off, imagine this conversation. Hey, have you caught anything? Nothing. You know, I got an idea. How about you throw that net on the other side of the boat? Imagine they're like, this guy. This guy. Can you believe the nerve of this guy? But here, here is the reason I believe they did it. What else do we have to lose? And then John recognizes it's Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat. He abandons the fishing. And he heads to shore. I believe in that moment, Peter recognized Yet again, the greatness of God. Even though the net started to catch fish, none of that mattered anymore. And isn't it interesting how he gives up everything to return to fishing? Jesus returns, he helps him catch fish, and he abandons it right away all over again. Peter's heart captured the secret yet again. He captured the secret to following Jesus yet again. That the way of Jesus is better. And Peter's way of reverting back to his old ways is directionless, or at least it seemed like he didn't know where he was going. So he just returns back to what he knows. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The all-powerful God, who sees all, who knows all, both past, present, and future, He knows the best course for your life. He knows the best course for your life. And so Peter was still learning what that meant. He was learning that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to get to God. He is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. And if you let him be, he will be the captain of your soul. That's why Peter jumped out of the boat. See, in their hearts... They were prepared to follow Jesus again right then. But here's the thing about Jesus. 
Jesus knows our hearts are fickle. He knows our hearts are so fickle. Think about this. Did Jesus dying on the cross negate the work and miracles he had done with him the previous three years? Did it negate any of that stuff? But Jesus had to capture their heart yet again. And so I asked myself a rhetorical question. Why do I keep falling back and doing it my way? Why do I always try to do it my way? And we, we've accepted as human beings that failure is a constant, right? Failure is something that we naturally have to accept. And if we can accept failure, we know that it can better ourselves, right? Think about Thomas Edison creating the light bulb. It took 10,000 ways for him to find out how to not make a light bulb. And after those 10,000 experiments, he finally got it right. A reporter had asked him how it felt to fail 10,000 times. And Edison responded, I haven't failed. I just found 10,000 ways it won't work. And obviously, we are blessed today by his success, and we are blessed by the work that he had done, but there are many ways that you and I, we can fall or we can fail in life. But here's the thing. Your setback and failure might cause you to not respond like Edison did. Imagine failing 500 times Say, you know what, I'm not any good at this, right? Or maybe you're getting on number 999, and you're thinking, all right, one more shot. Nice, even number. And so we create these milestones, right? And then we can get so defeated so easily. And in fact, when we fall, we can tend to retreat, we can pull back, or we can recoil, But when God orchestrates your life, check this out, it is never for failure. It is always for His success and His purpose. So it becomes a matter for us, where am I going to set my eyes? Where am I going to keep my eyes focused? Peter, he was using worldly thinking. And it caused him to follow a worldly objective. This didn't work out. I'm going back to my father's trade. And his lack of eternal perspective in seeking God, if we do that, it'll always take us off the right path. Seek God. Challenge yourself daily to have that eternal perspective. And I really believe there is an art to surrender. There's an art to surrendering to God. It's not just saying on a Sunday during worship, God, I'm all yours. Use me. It's not just the prayer before your meal. It's not just you saying, God, it's your responsibility to bless me. I'm a child of the living God now. It's saying and choosing to say, God, my life is completely yours no matter the cost because God gave everything for you and his son 
Can you give everything for him? See, what Jesus does here, and this is really what I want to get to, Jesus wants a firm commitment from you. He wants a firm commitment. You know, I can make an emotional decision, but guess what? My emotions change. They waver, right? But Jesus wants a firm commitment. And so what Jesus does is they're, they're now sitting there. Jesus has fed them, but there's this elephant on the beach. John chapter 21, verses 19 through 15. Or 15 through 19, wow. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, listen to this. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went everywhere you wanted to go. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. The words Jesus spoke to him after this challenge were the same words Jesus spoke to him upon their first meeting. Follow me. If you need any more evidence that Peter had chosen his mind to fall back to his old lifestyle, all you have to do is look at how Jesus addressed him. Because Jesus either called him Caiaphas? Jesus would call him Simon Peter? Jesus said, Simon, son of John. See, back then, and we, we talked about this early on, to call him Simon, son of John, meant that he was saying, hey, young man that's a part of his father's trade. See, that was a normal thing back then, that, that once a, a, a child would leave school because they would not go on to be a rabbi, that, that they would leave school and they would become a part of their father's trade and their father would train them up in the trade and so you would always be known by who your father was. And so instead of Jesus saying Simon Peter, he said Simon, son of John. Jesus immediately reminds him of his calling and purpose. Remember, his initial words to Peter were, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And now all of a sudden, Peter takes up his nets again and he is a fisher of fish. And Jesus uses this tactic to remind Peter of who he is. 
He recalls back to the three times that Peter denied him. Think about this. All of Jesus' miracles are in view with what he just accomplished again in the nets. In a matter of moments, they went from not catching any fish all night long to having 153 fish in their nets. Now Jesus reminds him yet again, I brought you here. I brought you to this point. No doubt this moment where Jesus challenged him was painful. It hurt. His Lord and Savior recalling the three times he denied him by challenging him three times. Do you love me? I think about times when I've been challenged. Times where I wanted to run. Times where I didn't want to face someone who held something against me. And what Jesus was doing was he was going to take him through this process of restoring him to who he's called him to be. And church, I am telling you, the process leading to restoration, it is painful, but it is necessary for commitment to God. Did we really think that Jesus would show up on that beach and just brush it off and think everything is okay and I don't need to direct this, I don't need to talk about this anymore or it's cool that they went to fishing and now they're just going to follow me again. Jesus does his miracle and Peter gets excited to see him all of a sudden and then we think just everything is going to be good? No, Peter was still the same guy, and Peter was still prone to give in to the same type of thinking. And church, I am telling you, until you change your thinking, you are going to continue to recycle the same experiences over and over and over again. So Jesus challenged Peter in a way that he could fully grasp the commitments he's made. Remember a verse earlier in Luke 14? The cost of following Jesus is high. Because it requires you to abandon all your desires for his. Maybe you're sitting here today and you hear that and you're like, Pastor, it's not worth it. And I got a question. Is eternity worth it? Is eternity worth it? Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 through 39 says, If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it, but if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Church, I am telling you, it is worth to abandon your plans for following His. It is worth it. And what Jesus wants to do is He wants to create in you an unwavering faith that no matter what comes against you, you are going to stand strong and remain faithful in the Lord. Because when Jesus calls you, he is calling you to be willing to give it all up for Him. And sometimes, church, I want you to catch this, sometimes giving up your own life may be required. You want to know why Jesus said this three times and strongly challenged Him? It's contained in the final verses that I read. I want to read those again. Verse 18 and 19. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do this, to, to, to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands 
and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Jesus knew what it would cost Peter. He knew him it would cost his life. And he challenged Peter, you need to remember to count the cost of what you have dedicated yourself to. And so after Jesus ascended, they stood there, they waited on the Holy Spirit. Peter then, on the day of Pentecost, he preached to thousands. And on that day, he saw 3,000 except Jesus. He went on to become an apostle, and eventually he was hung upside down on a cross and martyred for his faith. Why? Because he discovered the secret. Jesus is worth it all. Now, church, your calling and purpose, they probably don't look anything like Peter's. But if God speaks, if he guides and directs your life, are you going to be fully committed to what he is calling you to? See, church don't, churches don't like to talk about calling too much anymore. The responsibility should fall on the church staff to lead people to Jesus, right? The responsibility should be on the church staff to reach their neighbors. No. God is calling you. And some of you, he might need to restore to his initial purpose for your life. But when God speaks, are you, or, or, I, I shouldn't say when God speaks. Um, I don't want, don't want to jump ahead of myself. When things don't go your way, when you make mistakes, when you fall like Peter, are you going to recoil? Are you going to fall back? Are you going to revert to your old ways? And I, I, don't, I don't tell you guys all this and, and make it so strong because I want to scare you. But God is looking for a resiliency that rests in Him and trust in His plan. So you and I, we don't accomplish His will or fulfill His purpose under our own power. You can sit there and say, look at all the great things I'm going to do for God. You know what? That means nothing to him. But it means everything when you say, God, I'm yours for whatever you would have me do. You need to come to the point where you say, God, use me to do your will. Lord, you want me to abandon the job that I thought I had for the rest of my life, I'll do it. God, if you're asking me to leave home and preach around the world, I'll do it. Whatever it takes. And as hard as some of those things sound, I'm telling you, when you decide to do things in faith, it is that faith that will compel your family. It is that faith that will compel your neighbors and your friends and the nations to follow out after Jesus Christ. Christ gave everything so that we might live. Are you willing to give everything so that He can live through you? You know, you and I have the opportunity to tell the world about what Jesus has done. 
but someone who's just doing something because they read it in a book and said they're supposed to isn't very compelling. What's compelling is someone who's completely sold out to God and says, Lord, I'm going to do your will no matter what. So what I want you to do is I want you to bow your heads. I want a moment for you to reflect on your relationship with the Lord. Perhaps God is working on you and he's he's looking to restore you. Perhaps you are feeling the tug to surrender everything to him. What I want to do is I want to ask the uh, prayer altar team to come forward. Whether you've fallen or not doesn't matter. What matters is what is God speaking to your life right now? Because I believe He is calling many people to a firm commitment to Him. That you're not going to let anything stand in your way from serving the living God who sent His only Son to live and die for you. That you might have everlasting life through Him and that you might go out and tell the world of what He has done. God wants people with an unwavering faith. Today, some of you might need restored. Some of you might be searching for calling. Some of you might just need to surrender. Whatever that is, if God is tugging on your heart this morning, what I encourage you to do is I encourage you to step out. Find one of these prayer partners that will be an advocate in your life to pour into you to encourage you to help be your accountability and for you to come in contact with a God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you if that is you and you just need to respond you need to say pastor I want to dedicate myself to God.